You are listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen, and this is episode two. Welcome to episode two of the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. Again, I'm Jeff Steppen. You can visit my website at www.conversationsinspeech.com. Today on the second episode, I'm honored to welcome my first official guest. Uh, she is none other than Temple Grandin. And I think to start off with, I'd like to talk about how Temple Grandin came to be the first guest. You see, in the summer of 2013, when I was learning how to podcast, buying, setting up equipment, all that sort of thing, I compiled a list of people that I wanted on the show. That list was probably about 10 names long, and they're people who I do and don't know. They're famous people, not so famous people, everything in between. Now, when I started to contact people in the fall of 2013 to be on the show, um, I would say the first three or four responses were somewhat lukewarm. I think people were a little confused as to A, what a podcast was, B, what it was going to entail, and, you know, people are a little squeamish about coming on the air and broadcasting their voice to, uh, you know, the world. So some of the people I know just kind of wanted to sit in the sidelines for a little bit and, and kind of kind of just watch what happened to the podcast before committing, and I can respect that. That's fine. And so I got to the point where I actually interviewed, or <laughs> I'm sorry, I emailed Temple Grandin, and believe it or not, I got a response, uh, I'd say within a day of emailing her. And lo and behold, I actually got to schedule something. We finally uh, talked. It was a Saturday night in October of 2013. And now I guess at this point, I should uh, give Temple a proper introduction. This is going to be short because, again, most of you know who she is. But Temple Grandin is a professor of animal sciences at Colorado State University. She's the author of numerous books, including Thinking in Pictures, The Autistic Brain, and Animals in Translation. She is uh, the subject of a film simply uh, titled Temple Grandin. She was played by Claire Danes, uh, for those of you who had seen that movie. And at this point, I think we're just going to jump right into the interview. These days, because there's so many uh, different types of interventions, you know, there's the, the more behavioral and there's the more relationship-based, such as, you know, floor time and RDI. Do you, I'm sure you get a lot of parents who come up to you after these conferences and ask you to direct them to a specific type of therapy. Do you no, get that a lot? I don't do that. I don't do that. What's important is who the teacher is. Mm-hmm. And I find that really good teachers, when I watch them work with kids, they mix all the different kinds of things together. Right, right. And a good teacher, the teacher that gets progress out of the kid, gets more speech, more eye contact. It's extremely important to teach these kids turn-taking. They're really bad about taking turns. Play a lot of games involving turn-taking. Now, another thing that my speech teacher did with me, and she did a lot of stuff that today would just be called ABA. Right. Um, she'd hold up a cup and she'd say cup. Now she'd say cup the regular way. And then she'd say cup, fa where she'd stretch out and enunciate the hard consonant. So the alternate back and forth between saying it the regular way and stretching out the hard consonant so I could hear them. Mm-hmm. Because if she spoke too fast, then all I heard was the vowel sounds. Right. And it's interesting because I remember uh, reading, I think it was um, The Autistic Brain, you had talked about uh, different auditory processing tests that you had gone through. 
uh, as far yeah, as... Yeah, and I, and I did really badly on some auditory processing tests. And I think it's important with these two-year-olds, these three-year-olds that are nonverbal, and I don't care what the diagnosis is, you got a nonverbal three-year-old. Mm-hmm. The worst thing you can do is nothing. Right. And I travel all around the country, and you get some places where there's no services. Don't wait a year for a diagnosis. Get some grandmothers out there right now and start working with these kids. And some teachers just have the knack. They know just how hard to push them. Because if you don't push them some, they don't advance. And you push them too much, they go into sensory overload and shut down. And that's going to vary a lot. And a good teacher just knows how hard to push. And, and, and the thing is, some people are, are good teachers, some are not. And a lot of grandmothers are really good. Another question that I had for Temple had to do with what words she would recommend teaching to a nonverbal student with autism. It's a question that's especially interested me over the last few years. Start with nouns and then your position words. Up, mm-hmm. down, on, in, beside. Um, and you're going to need to use many different specific examples. Um, toy airplanes are really good for demonstrating this. Right. You can say it flew up in the air. It went down and landed on the table. It went around the table. It went under the table. And, and use lots of different specific examples. You can go down the stairs. I put the cups down. I walked down a hill. I got down off the bed. You know, that's, that's um, you know, a lot of different examples. So you learn nouns. You learn position words. These kids have got to learn, you know, that words actually mean something. Okay, then you can get into same and different in other words, I might have a picture of two golden retrievers, um, they'd be the same. But yeah. don't teach these things in a vacuum. This is a mistake that's made. You mean sort of like just pulling them in size and just drilling them with pictures? Just drilling them is just stupid. Oh, yeah, I agree. You've got you to make language have meaning. Now, then the other kind of kid you get is the echolalic kid, where they yak out all these words that yeah. they learned off a, a video but they have no idea what it means. See, my problem is I had trouble with speech output. I couldn't get my speech out because there was a lack of bandwidth on my speech. So I had a hard time getting it out. And then, and then people had to speak slowly so it understand. Then we got the echolalic kid where all his speech is coming out really nicely, but they don't know what it means. And that's where you start with nouns. And then they'll start to get the idea that maybe the cereal commercial has something to do with food. Yeah. And that's why the kid's singing a Kellogg's commercial in the morning, because that has to do with breakfast. Well, you kind of brought up a related thing, and I know you've spoken a lot over the years about the importance of teaching to the child's natural interests, you know, as natural yeah, motivators. Yeah, of course, when I was three, I didn't have much of a natural interest, so they were just uh, just teaching, teaching when I was a real little kid, but, you know, uh, using a lot of generic things, cups and um, you know, and then get me to request, you know, food items. Now, later on, you know, like second grade and things like that, then you can teach the interest, you know, like a favorite interest for a lot of kids, airplanes or trains. Well, then you can read about trains. You can do math with trains. <coughs> or it might be Thomas the Tank Engine. You know, one of, the, one of the questions that comes up a lot, actually, and this actually comes from quite a number of parents, is sometimes, you know, their child is only interested, for instance, in Thomas the Tank Engine. And well, and broaden it out, broaden it out. Okay, let's, learn, let's look at other types of trains. Thomas has friends. There's a lot of different kinds of trains. There's freight trains, there's commuter trains, there's old-fashioned coal trains. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of trains. And where does all these different kinds of trains go? 
Mm-hmm. There's trains back in history, old-fashioned ones. There's modern trains that take businessmen into the city to work. There's yeah. lots of trains in lots of different places, and they go lots of different places. So then you can start studying some of the places where a train goes, where one of Thomas's friends go. See how I'm making an associative link. And that's how you can tap into the Thomas the Tank Engine fixation. No, that's, that's a good point, and it's something that you know, I try to do you know, with the students I'm working in. I think the, the, uh, the tension sometimes is that you know, working in a school system, of course, there's the curriculum, you know, whether the literacy or the math curriculum. Well, the first thing we got to do, we're talking about three-year-olds, not even at, even at school yet. Well, yeah, I work with you and a little bit older. We've got to get them on, you know, get them to talk. I think another thing that's very important, I never learned how to diagram a sentence or anything. I know that stuff made sense. Yeah. But fortunately, I was raised in a neighborhood where my parents and everybody around me spoke proper English. And I think that's really important. And so that... But then I learned, you see, then you take words like the. Well, I just learned like a parrot how to use those words. Because I would just say it the way my mother would say it, or the way Mrs. Wood next door would say it. Um, And and all the people around me spoke proper English, which was really good. um, I wanted to ask you, um, in, you know, the autistic brain, you talk about um, some cutting-edge ways to, uh, you know, off in the future, 20 years from now, hopefully we'll have better ways of diagnosing and really... Well, one of the things you can do on diagnosis would be to look at, um, like, I had problems with language output. I had trouble getting my speech out. Yeah. Well, that actually showed up in the brain scans. Right, Now, right. I'm going to predict that the kid that's like that blabs out all of this uh, clear movie scripts and things like that, his language output circuit's fine, but he's got a problem on the circuit for the meaning. Right. Because they yak out this stuff and they don't know what it means. See, that's a different type of a language problem. Yeah. I think one of the final things I wanted to talk to you about, I worry about, you know, going 20, 30 years into the future, what, you know, what lies ahead as far as the lack of state funding for vocational programs, lack well, I of... I one of the worst things the schools ever did was taking out art and wood shop and cooking and sewing and welding and automobile shop. But you know what? Schools are realizing it was wrong, and there's some schools, like in Texas and Arkansas, they're starting to put it back in. I know. <laughs> it's so different, I guess, from state to state. But I, I, I wonder, again, for a what, lot what of... What state are you in? I'm in Illinois. Yeah. Illinois is one of the worst states taking this stuff <laughs> out. They cut all the funding for FFA. It's pretty bad here. It's like an ag state. And, and for some kids, FFA is just the Future Farmers of America. That's just a fantastic program. Um, and anyway, so, you know, I... I I worry after they turn 21, when they leave our transitional programs, what's going to, you know, there's just, I think... Well, the problem with autism is it's such a big spectrum. Now, let's take the kids that, where you don't have speech delay. Mm-hmm. The kids are used to call geeks and nerds. Well, they all managed to get jobs before, because when they were 12, they had paper routes, and they took auto shop and things in school, uh, and, and there were a lot more manufacturing jobs around, and, you know, where are those kids today that are 60? They got jobs, and they managed to keep them. Yeah. And, and I, I, what I'm seeing today, especially with kids on the milder end of the spectrum, I'm seeing too many of them getting coddled. They're not learning basic skills, like how to shake hands, how to say please and thank you. That's the most basic things they're not getting taught. Mm-hmm. These things that in the 50s were pounded into every child. And boy, if there were paper routes, I just was up in North Dakota, and they still have paper routes. 
Oh, is that right? Well, I think a lot of these kids, when they get around 12 years old, they need to get a job. Learn the discipline of having a job. So you need to set something up in the neighborhood. Like maybe walk two dogs for the next door neighbors. 6.30 every morning, you've got to get up and walk the two dogs for half an hour. Right, right. And it's responsibility and the discipline of having a job. They need to learn that. And they need to be getting work experience long before they get to be 21. By the time I was 21, I had a ton of work experience. Clean horse stalls. I had built all kinds of stuff, shingled barn roof. I'd worked as an intern in a research lab where I had to rent my own house. Oh, really? I had a ton of work skills. I had a sewing job when I was 13 that my mother just set up in the neighborhood. So you had a lot, so you had a lot of work experience before you even hit uh, college. Absolutely, I had a lot of work yeah. experience. And these are things that don't cost me anything to set up. You know, I, I tell parents about stuff like this, and they say, we don't, I said, what about have the, you know, the kid walk some dogs? He says, we don't have a program for that. I said, I'm talking about going over to the next-door neighbors and offering your 12-year-old services, yeah. and you just set it up. Yeah. I talked to another family uh, at the airport, and I said, do you have a friend that just has a little small independent business that maybe your child could work at in the, uh, on the weekends? Yeah. And it's right down the road, a little ice cream shop. I go, yeah, your 12-year-old can scoop ice cream on Saturday afternoons. I mean, obviously, they're not going to have to do something dangerous. A little independent shop, they could, you know, put merchandise on the shelves, flatten the boxes, clean up the store. You know, just put those things up in the neighborhood. So you just have to kind of look for those opportunities, even if there's no program, you know. It... Well, that's what my mother did with sewing. When I was 13, yeah. she saw a house where a lady said, you know, that she's a dressmaker. She's a freelance dressmaker. And mother went into the situation with me that uh, that I was really, really super good at sewing and would she be willing to have me help her? So she started having me uh, take apart dresses and hem them. And she liked me so much she started paying me. She just set it up for the lady in the neighborhood. So when you were... so when and you it were, cost absolutely nothing to do it. Now, did you enjoy doing these jobs? I loved my sewing job. Because I really got... It was two afternoons a week in the summer... And I really got a feeling of accomplishment and responsibility and, 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 and I, for doing a job really right. And I hemmed the dresses really beautifully. Now, did you, did you also have jobs while you were in college? Yeah, I did a lot, a lot of uh, summer things. I uh, at, in, did an internship in a research lab. I worked at a summer program with autistic kids one summer. I was out on my aunt's ranch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a ton of work experience while I was in college during the summer. Tons of it. Wow. I also did little freelance carpentry jobs. Then when I was getting my master's degree, I uh, painted signs for the State Fair Carnival. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to just leave you with one final question, if you will. Um, I wanted to, you know, again, the autistic brain, you talk about sort of like the future of diagnosis and treatment for autism. I'm wondering, what, what do you see in the next 20 years as the next big thing? Well, I think basically autism is going to get chopped up into its component parts. You know, and I think the core criteria for autism is a lot of the social deficits. And I just read a really interesting paper from Stanford that I just got yesterday about mathematics and autism and that the um, kids that are autistic that are good at math use face recognition circuits for that to chop the problems up into their component parts. And uh, some of these kids are very good at math. I can't emphasize enough, especially on the higher end of the spectrum, developing strengths. My ability in art was always encouraged. But I wasn't. But I would just draw the same horse head over and over again, and I was encouraged to always draw different things. Let's draw the horse's stable. Let's draw where you ride the horse to. Let's draw the whole horse. You know, it's it broaden it out. 
I mean, I hear uh, the parents say, oh, my kid does the same anime character over and over again. So, okay, let's do his house. Let's do his car. So I'm then out. All right, so it's always taking that interest and building out from there. I'm building on it, but I'm making an associate of linked back so the kid's going to stay interested. Right, right. Interesting. Now, so. my art ability was always, always encouraged. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged to do lots of different things in art. Well, I have to say, I'm pretty and amazed. that became the basis of my, my career in design, because basically what I do with livestock is industrial design. It's a whole career of industrial design. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, looking at some of your diagrams, you know, both you know, portrayed in the movie and in your book, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, and especially this, the idea that you essentially uh, looked at someone else drafting and sort of learned how to draft that way. Well, that's how I learned how to do drafting. I copied the way Davey did it. Yeah. But, right. they, but, they, but I, I sort of copied that, and that came out really quickly. But the first thing I had to do is I had to learn how to read drawings. I had to learn that a square on a drawing was a vertical column that held up the roof of a building. Now, did, I had to learn that that square on that drawing was a vertical column. And did that come and the naturally? the way I learned that is I got the drawings for the entire Swift plant, and I walked around the entire plant with the drawings so I was able to relate every line on the drawing to a structure in the plant. That and that's sense. how I learned how to read drawings. Okay, that makes sense to me now. I was wondering, you know, what, you know, reading the book and seeing the movie, I was wondering, how did, how did you pick it up so quickly? <laughs> well, it took a while to, to learning how to read drawings. Once, once I knew how to read the drawings, then I kind of just copied the way David did it. Right, right, and it worked but I out. I had to learn how to read drawings, and I had to learn how to relate the lines on the drawing back to the actual structure. Well, Temple, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. And, okay, um, well, good. I hope this will be helpful. It's a bit of a difficult time getting together, but I'm just real, real busy. Oh, when I'm uh, home, I'm like super busy. Well, I, I, I completely understand. I'm, and to be quite honest, I'm just thrilled that uh, you know that you're you came on the show and that, that you did this. Uh, I want to thank you so much. Okay, well, good. Thank you very, very much. All right, take care, Temple. All right, good to talk to you. All right, bye, bye. now. Well, I want to thank you so much for listening today. You know, looking back on this interview, I have to say that uh, the big takeaway for me is just how important it is, A, for that intensive early intervention. Once you have a kid who uh, doesn't have a diagnosis, whether he, you know, he or she does, just to kind of get started. And I think the other big thing is creating programs or finding resources on our own when, there, when there's wait lists or when you can't access things. So once again, if you want to uh, visit my website, it's www.conversationsinspeech.com. Feel free to leave uh, comments, uh, suggestions for the show. If you have a guest in mind uh, that you uh, feel should be on the show, please forward them. I'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening.